Amen. 1 Corinthians 7. We're getting there. We're getting there. You see how I'm prolonging this as long as possible? No, just kidding. Just kidding. I, there's some, I appreciate y'all playing that song. And there's something about those songs like that and that beat that just makes your body shake in different ways and your leg. It's like I'm trying to put my hand like I can't control my leg here. It's wanting to move around. You know, so uh, people, were, people were talking about beforehand. They were warming up. They were like, you might want to dance. If y'all knew me back in the day, I love to dance. Apparently that's not allowed in the Christian community now. <laughs> Father, forgive us for our sin. So uh, no. We, we like to dance at our household. If that offends you, you should try it. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. I tell people all the time, I know some couples, it'd do them some good to dance a little bit. So uh, 1 Corinthians 7. So uh, as, we, as we jump in here to 1 Corinthians 7 and, and verses 1 through 7, there's a lot here. I don't want to, I don't, this is one chapter that I don't want to just run, run through um, quickly. We're going to probably break my rule and, and, and spend probably three weeks here in, in, in chapter 7 because Paul really deals with three different uh, areas. He's going to talk about uh, here today. What we're going to see is that God has given us uh, sex as a protector. It's a protection. It's a protection. Satan wants to destroy us. And, and wives, if you're... If you're not aware of, of the role that sex plays in the life of your husband, uh, you need to talk to somebody. It's a big deal. And again, I'm not, I'm not, when I preach this today, you're going to think, you're a guy, you're, you're making this stuff up. I promise you, I'm not making this stuff up. I couldn't make this stuff up. I was studying all week thinking, they're going to think I'm distorting the scriptures, lying, doing all, I promise you I'm not. I promise you I'm not. But what, what we're going to see, we've we got to be careful when we come to these passages, and it says the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise. I'm just telling you, our flesh don't want to hear nothing about that. It don't want to hear that. But, but don't, don't, don't make the Bible say less than it says. I, I don't want to ever say more than the Bible says, but I don't want to say less than it says either. I want, to go, I want to go exactly where it takes me. And if it takes me to a hard truth, guess what? God will give me and you the grace to deal with that hard truth. And if it takes me to some place that my flesh doesn't want anything to do with, guess what? The problem is in my flesh because I know that my flesh wages war against my spirit. And what Paul is saying here is, is, is really in three different ways... The theme of chapter 7, the underwriting theme, the, 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 what God would want us to shoot for, and it's what we've said the last few weeks. If you, if you look at the theme of this chapter, it's stay put. Stay put. Stay where you are. Serve the Lord where you are. He's going to say that over and over and over again. Even in verses 1 through 7, it comes out. Hey, keep doing what you're doing. Stay put. And you're going to see it over and over again. I, I see people come to know the Lord, and all of a sudden they change things. They immediately want to change everything. Their job, their friends, their this, their that. Hey, if it's, if it's sin, obviously. Otherwise, stay put. Grow where God's planted you. That place of business, it may need your light. Those friends, they need you. They need the light that God has given you. 
We, we, we're very quick to just change everything. And, and change may come. Change may come, but be cautious. Be cautious. Over time, change may come. And chapter 7 here, up to chapter 6, Paul has been dealing with some, some, some mainstream issues that, that this society, this culture, this church really had. Starting in chapter 7, he is addressing some very specific questions that they wrote to him in a letter. He, he is answering their questions. There's a shift here. And, and Paul, through their writing, through their letters, through, through some friends that he knew that were living in Corinth, there were some errors in their theology, there were some errors in their lives, and they needed to be corrected, and this is what Paul sets out to do here over the next few chapters. He's addressing specific questions that they have asked him. In, in, in chapter 7 specifically, it's going to be with regards to uh, sex and, and marriage and all that's involved in there. Chapter 8, it's going to be with regards to liberties. You know, we're going to get into chapter, the joy of chapter 11 with head coverings. And what in the world does that mean? Should all you ladies have on hats today? What does it mean? Chapter 12 through 14, the gifts. Chapter 13, we're going to look at what love really is. Hard stuff. And, and there's no coincidence, hear me, there's no coincidence that chapter 7 comes immediately after chapter 6. Chapter 6, he was dealing with sexual immorality, and we looked at that. Well, what that culture, and that culture was beginning to infiltrate the church. False religions, false beliefs, false ideology, all these things were infiltrating the church, and people in the church started to say, oh, you know what, there was aestheticism and all these other things, meaning, oh, anything in the material world is bad. All material world is bad. And you know what, you know, that's why they, they didn't care about our bodies. They didn't care about their body. Hey, I can do whatever I want in the body because everything's spiritual and anything material doesn't matter. And, and that had turned into, oh, now I'm a Christian, sex is in the material world, therefore sex is bad. That was the conclusion they had come to. Even in a married relationship, hey, you're material, I'm staying away from you. That was their conclusion. And, and Paul here, what he does in chapter 7, he walks the tightrope you know, he's, he's addressing an audience that has Jewish members and Gentile members. The, the Jewish community would have elevated marriage so high that, that it would have demeaned being single. If you remained single, you were not a whole person in a sense. And, and unfortunately, we live in a society that oftentimes, and even in churches, treat singles that way. Well, you're, you're still single? Well, what's wrong with you? You're still single. Nothing wrong with it. Paul says, hey... For the standpoint of the gospel, I wish you had the gift that I had to stay single. But, but also at the same time, the Gentile community, as I said, because they, the Corinthian church had a huge emphasis on what being spiritual was. They wanted to be spiritual. They elevated it. And so they were really refusing everything in the material world, including sex within the confines of a marriage relationship. Which, by the way, hear me, that's the only place it belongs. Man woman who are married period there's no there's no balking about that there's no questions about that within the context of the bible if you want to be biblical it's man wife in marriage and we live in a world that's distorted that and, and i get all kinds of crazy questions about that it's man woman who are married not man who woman who are getting married man woman who want to be married man hey i used to be married now i'm not married so i can do whatever i want to do not true either it's not true 
And, and in a nutshell, if I was going to sum this up, in a nutshell, what Paul is saying here in verses 1 through 7 is this. Satisfy and protect your spouse. And we'll see it here. I, I, it's, it's worded there on the main point. We just have one point today. And guess what? I'm going to get down to the application, and I'm going to leave that up to you. I told my wife, I'm not even going there. I'm going to leave it up to you. But satisfy and protect your spouse. God gave us sex to satisfy and protect our spouse. And he's going to tell us, fulfill your sexual desires through a loving, sacrificial relationship with your spouse. That's what he's going to say. And in this chapter and every other chapter, like I said... These, these verses, what, what I'm going to say today is, is not going to jive well with your flesh at times. I promise you. It, it's going to be so counterculture to what the society says, to what all these romantic movies... I watched a, a romantic movie with my wife on... It was not a romantic movie. It was like a Disney... How romantic? Hallmark. That was it. Guys, stay away from those things. <laughs> Just as a rule of thumb. Guys, wives, you can go to them. But your husband will fall short of that. I'm watching that thing thinking, what in the, Karen, turn this, is there a game on or something we can watch? Goodness gracious, it was awful. No. But I mean, these guys, and just like, I kept telling her, I've told her many times, if my life was scripted, I'd be the most romantic person in the world. The problem is I say dumb things. The problem is I don't have a room of writers putting their minds together, coming up with something romantic to say to her, and then giving it to me. And saying, hey, say this. You know, it's a movie. But, but as we come here, again, go as far as the Bible takes us. Don't, don't be afraid to go as far as the Bible takes us. And, and if there's sin in our lives, if we've fallen short, if we've adopted a worldly philosophy, if we've distorted any of these things and made them selfish when they ought to be sacrificial, again, repent. Purpose to turn. And I'm not demeaning repentance. I'm saying that's what the Bible says. Again, for Romans 5.20, where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. It, look, every single one of us, I wish a lot of this was taught to me back when I was, you know, 13 through 21 and thought I knew everything there was to know about marriage. I, I was blessed with a great model for marriage. My parents, phenomenal model. Unbelievable model. Unbelievable. But not all of us had that. And, and even then, they fell short at times of this. They weren't perfect. And, and you didn't, they didn't tell me this. But again, one main point. So as we move forward, be bold. Go where the Bible takes us. Go where it takes us. Go as far as it takes us. But don't go further than it takes us. We're going to look at some words and what they really mean, not what we think they mean. And in verses 1 through 7, and it's going it's to just be prepared. Be prepared. The good news is we have... Fellowship Supper Sunday, so we can all talk about it and get it worked out over dinner. And then we can go home to our own homes and deal with it there. So, all right. Here's the point. Here's the point. And guys, don't be running home after this message. Now, stay and eat with us, all right? Stay for small groups and eat with us. Don't, don't, don't leave. Just don't be mad at me. Here's the point. Sex has been given to us from God as a protection, a protection against the attacks of Satan and thus should be enjoyed regularly. On behalf of the guys, I'm going to say that again. Sex has been given to us from God as a protection against the attacks of Satan, and thus should be enjoyed regularly. 
right, right off the bat, right off the bat, guys are elbowing their wives. I told you. Visitors, guys are getting all spiritual. Honey, I believe this is the church God is leading us to. I really believe this is the church for us. The Holy Spirit has spoken to me. The man said, have sex. We're here. This is the church for me. And you wonder why we got all those kids in children's church. You know, this may be the favorite sermon, the most downloaded sermon I've ever done. So, uh, but, but, you know, calling all of our buddies. You weren't here today. Guess what? You missed it. You know, so, uh, but, but um, you know, hold tight, though. Because, because it, it's, it's, not all, it's not all honey and no bees. But what I'm going to tell you in a minute is, it's not do whatever you want to do, guy, and then demand something of your spouse. It's not live however you want to live as a husband and then just expect your spouse to, to meet all your needs. Guys, you set the tone. You set the culture. You set the climate. You're, you're, guys, you're, you're the thermostat controller for your home. It's not a call to do whatever I want to do and then just expect things from Karen. And, and I will challenge... So I'm challenging all of us, don't come to these passages selfishly. Don't, don't come thinking about you. Think about what this means for your spouse, husbands and wives. We're going to speak to both of those today. Don't, don't come thinking, you know, this is about my needs and it's all about me and, and this is all about me. No, no, no. Think about your spouse here. When we walk through this, I'm challenging you to think about your spouse. Husband, you think about your wife. Wife, you think about your husband. And not only that, don't come to verse 6 and, and think that, that, oh, you know what, Paul says, this way I say way is a concession, not a command. Well, that means I don't have to do it. That, that this was all Paul's opinions. He didn't have a command from the Lord. That, that's not what he's saying. Referen verse 6 is in reference to, chapter, to verse 5. In regards to prayer, and he's saying, look, if you have to, if you have to stop, enjoying this with your spouse do it for a specific time and do it because you're praying I, i've never counseled any couple that those are the reasons that they were stopping i really got to devote myself to prayer paul says if you're not going to do this here's two options do don't do it because you devoted yourself to prayer and do it for a specific time all of this is inspired god has signed off on that what Paul is saying here is this is the wisest thing I can tell you under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Greet upon time and prayer. And what he says is be careful to hurry back together or else you will be tempted. Satan will tempt you to do things that you ought not to do. So look at verse 1. Look at verse 1. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. You remember up in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, Paul said, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. And I said what there at the beginning in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, Paul is quoting a Corinthian slogan. Their slogan was, all things are profitable. I mean, all things are lawful. And Paul was correcting them, saying, you know what? No, 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 no. Here's the right way to think about that. All things are, but not all things are profitable. It may be lawful, but it's not profitable. And here in verse 1, this is a Corinthian slogan. It is good for a man not to touch the woman. That's what the Corinthians held to. That was a slogan based on the belief that, again, like I said, now that they're Christians, now that they're quote-unquote spiritual beings, that, that they would become more spiritual by, by abstaining from anything 
in the physical world. And for them, that included sex. The word touch here literally means, it means sex. It's referring to sex. It, it don't, don't take this. I've seen churches do this. This is their billboard for, you know, boys, you go way over there. Girls, you go way over there. This is not talking about you can't have anything, you can't have any relationships. This is talking about the relationship between a husband and wife. And it appears that, that many in Corinth had begun depriving their spouse of sex in order to become more spiritual. And that, that's where they are. And, and you can look down in verse 5. This was a real situation. He says, stop depriving one another. This was a situation that was going on. This was not a hypothetical. This was a real situation. That they want to be super spiritual and thus they, they see everything in the material world as negative and they, want to, they just want to run from it. And the mentality and reasoning, uh, that same mentality and reasoning is alive and well today. We see this in general even today. Um, you know, abstaining from things to make us more spiritual. What we, what we drink in a liquid beverage, what we eat, what movies we go to, what activities we, what places, what people. Sometimes, here's the point Paul is saying, you're not totally wrong. Sometimes that's true. Those things are bad. Some of those things are bad. But what you're doing in regards to sex within marriage is wrong. That's what he's saying. It's not totally wrong, but in this way, your application of what this is saying, there are some things that we as Christians ought to have nothing to do with because it's not good for us. 2 Corinthians 6.14, what business, he says, does, does the Christian and the non-believer have with one another? What partnership? They're, it's light and darkness. they got no business being yoked. But with, with regards to how they were applying it in a marriage, he's saying you're wrong. It, it's counterproductive. And, and it, ironically, this is probably why what we saw in 1 Corinthians 6, where many of the men in that culture were going to prostitutes. That was the result. Paul is saying that's what happens when you do what you're doing. It's a problem. And he doesn't argue. He doesn't argue with their slogan as if it's entirely wrong. He, he, he's saying, look at verse 7. He says, I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in the other. The, the word gift there is charisma. It literally means gracious gift. And he's saying, hey, other than those who are married, abstaining from sexual relationships is absolutely the way to go. Other than those who are married. And he's saying, I wish that, guys, you could control yourselves like I can and devote yourself to the work of the Lord. But you can't. You don't all have that gift. So get married. Get married. And, and he agrees with them in general, just not to how they are applying it with regards to marriage. And, and hear me. Every single one of us are prone to being led astray in a myriad of ways. Don't think you're not. Satan wants to lead us astray. The Bible is very clear. You look throughout the Bible, do not be deceived all over the place. I'm not sure this is one that I'm willing to be deceived on, but we're all capable of being deceived. I don't think you guys need to pray for me that I would go where these guys have gone with regards to sex within marriage. It's just, but some do, even in today's world. And, and, Paul is pointing out, he's trying to clear up their error that what you're doing is wrong. 
And, and you look at verse, verses 2 through 4 are how he teaches them what is right. And these are the key passages, 2 through 4 are the key passages to Paul's response, the key passages to his response. And, and Paul begins to qualify their statements with regards to, to um, sex and, and, and where it is and what it, role it plays and all that. And, and all three pairs of statements, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, all say the same thing. It's this, sex is a safeguard against Satan, our enemy. Sex is a safeguard within marriage against Satan, our enemy. All of these statements revolve around the beginning of verse 2 because of immoralities. Because there's a lot of attacks on us to go have things fulfilled in unbiblical ways, God has given us sex within the confines of marriage. And it's a protection. It's a protection. And, and Paul is going to give the following truth, starting in verse 2, to correct their error. He says, but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. The word translated there for have does not refer to getting married. It refers to sex within marriage. And what Paul is saying is, again, your, state, your, your, your statement is wrong with regards to marriage, and it's causing harm. It's causing harm. He's saying, don't stop what God has given. Don't participate in what God has given you in an effort to be more spiritual because actually what you're doing is causing harm. You're actually hindering someone's walk with Christ instead of, instead of encouraging it. But sex is a safeguard, and Paul is saying, enjoy it. And all the men said, amen. amen. Yeah, see that? Y'all don't like it. But again, I, and, and again, don't go home. I say that kiddingly. Because I, I spoke one time at a, don't go home and, and say, well, you remember what Chris said? You remember what Chris said? I, I taught one time at a men's fraternity at the main campus. And uh, I think Karen and, Karen and I, either Bradley was about to be born or he had just been born. And so we couldn't go on a staff retreat with him. And so they were like, hey, you're in town. You get men's fraternity. I said, okay. Well, it, first of all, they meet at 6 o'clock in the morning. For, if you know me, there ain't nothing good going on at 6 o'clock in the morning, in my opinion. So they give me the materials, and it's on sex. I'm like, great. So I'm talking to a room of about 300 men about this. And, and I was like, what am I? This is ridiculous. So I, I literally, I said, guys, I, I, there's only two things I want to do at 6 o'clock in the morning, and one of them is not talking with you guys about sex. Hear me. Hear me. And, and, I, and, and so I, I went on to teach it. For months after that at Idlewild, I had men bringing their husbands up to me to get me to tell their wife what I had said to them that morning and prove it. Please don't do that. That's embarrassing for both of us. Embarrassing. I hardly want to talk about it to y'all in general, much less individual. But, but Paul is putting forth a very strong point here. He says, each, because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. He, he's saying, what he is saying here is keep sex within the confines of marriage. Keep it within the confines of marriage. And notice what he says. He begins to say it. Stay where you are. Stay where you are. Stay put. The, the word but here in verse 2 shows that Paul is in great disagreement with what they have put forth in verse 1. 
Paul's expectation would be that husbands and wives would enjoy what God has given them to enjoy. Because again, it's a protection. Interesting, the, the word have here, the word have, is in the present tense. And it literally means keep having. Keep having. Ongoing. Let each man, literally what he says is, let each man live sexually with his wife. Continuously. And, and the Lord's provision for the immoralities that run rampant, for all the temptations, for all that is out there, the Lord's provision is relationships between a husband and wife within the confines of marriage as a protection. It's a protection. And the marriage, marriage is God's answer to all kinds of immoralities. And you know what he says? He says, satisfy and protect your spouse. That's why you have your own wife and your own husband, to satisfy and protect. And, and, and again, you got to work out, husband and wife. The natural question I get, I get asked for something like this, or someone says, well, how much is enough? Tell me a number. I, I'm not going there. Y'all got to work that out. You got to work that out. I, I would tell you this, do whatever you do to the glory of God. Same principle applies. Same principle. But think about this. Often enough that your husband doesn't want to wonder. Often enough that your spouse doesn't want to wonder. Often enough to protect your spouse from the enemy's attacks. Often enough that your spouse is satisfied to where they would never want to look elsewhere. I can tell you that. And that's what Paul is saying. Secondly, secondly look at verse 3. He says, The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The word fulfill here means to make full, to bring to completion, to develop to the full potential. This word in the Greek is in the present active. It's command. And you know what he's saying is? Continually, continually, continually pursue the satisfaction of your spouse. Make them so satisfied with you as a spouse that they, it would be unreasonable, it would be foolish for them to look anywhere else. And that goes for the husband and the wife. He says, devote yourself to the Lord, and in doing so, devote yourself to your spouse that they would be satisfied and they would be protected. And this is where it gets, it gets crazy. As I studied this, the word duty, the, the word that Paul uses here and what he is teaching literally is that sex is a debt that we owe to our spouse. That's literally what Paul says here. A debt. It's a debt that we owe to our spouse. The, the, in the original language, it would read, the payment of what is due. Give to your spouse the payment of what is due them. That's what it says. I, I'm not, again, I know, what, I know what ladies think about guys, and I promise you I'm not making this up. It's a debt. Pay it up. That's, I don't want y'all going home yelling that. We're getting there, but that's what Paul is saying. Pay your debts. And, and look, in, the, in the, the word debt there, the word fulfill... It is, it's in the Greek, it literally means something that never goes away. This is a debt that is never paid in full. It never goes away. You make 8,000 payments on your home, they send you something that says, hey, good, you finally paid off your home. You're not getting that here. It never goes away. What verse 3, Paul is teaching us is that sex is an obligation in marriage. It's an obligation. 
And I, and I know when we hear the word obligation, we think of chores or work or negative connotations. But not all, not all, not all obligations are bad. I have an obligation to feed my children. I have an obligation to you to, to show up and study this word of God and know what it says. I have an oblig- I, we have all kinds of obligations. Not all obligations are bad. Sex is, is good. It's meant by God as a gift. And, and don't allow society to pervert it and turn it into something bad. It was meant to be something good. And, and this is where men especially, we can get all sidetracked and sideways and, and, and we can get selfish and we can destroy the beauty and the reality of what Paul is saying here. Don't, do not go home demanding that your wife just pay up. That's bad news. That's unbiblical. Don't, don't go home and quote this passage and expect things to happen. That's bad. Because Paul's emphasis here, listen, why do I say this? As you study this passage, Paul's emphasis here is not you owe me. Paul's emphasis here is I owe you. So husband, if you want to know what this verse says, it's this. What do I owe Karen today? What do I owe Karen today? Not wake up in the morning, what does Karen owe me? It's, hey, what do I owe my spouse today? How can I serve my spouse today? How can I make sure my, wife, my spouse is totally fulfilled in all of her needs today? This is an other-focused command. It's not a call to selfishness. It's not a call to demanding. Interesting, the husband is listed first. We're the leaders. We set the tone. We must set the context. That's what Paul is saying. Husband, you set the context for sex to occur appropriately and rightly in our homes as they should. And, and I want to illustrate it because we can be guys. We, we're not the smartest tools in the shed sometimes. We can be, we, we, need, we need pictures. But I, I want you, I, I, I used this one time and it, it helped then. And if it doesn't help now, it may be good for a laugh or whatever. But I know I don't always use the most illustrations, but I like this one. So, Hopefully it'll be helpful. Think, think for a moment. When I, when I talk about setting the context as a man, for the, the appropriate context in your home for sex to occur, I, I want you to think about ice cream for a moment. When, when you go to an ice cream shop, and they've got 800 flavors of ice cream to choose from, and you somehow, over the manage of the next 30 minutes, whittle it down to one, and you say, I want butter pecan. I love butter pecan ice cream. I want butter pecan. What's the first question they ask you? Cup or cone? Cup or cone? Why? Because for in order for the ice cream to be enjoyed, the ice cream has to have a context. Now, I know us guys, we just stick out our hands and say, put the, put the ice cream right here. And I, it needs to be in a cup or it needs to be in a cone. And, and the cup or the cone is the context to properly enjoy your ice cream. Without the cup or the cone, the ice cream doesn't make sense. It's not a complete experience. Cup or a cone. And, and, and sometimes us men, we just want the ice cream. However, you, there needs to be a context. And, and husband, you set the context by how you love your wife. And, and again, it, it, technically you can eat ice cream in your hands. I get that, but uh, bear with me. But it, it, and that's unfortunately that's sometimes the way men who the way we lead that's essentially what we're doing. We're demanding ice cream without a cup or a cone. 
we're demanding ice cream without the proper context. And, and if properly enjoyed, it, 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 it's a wonderful thing. And, and again, we come to this with a you owe me attitude instead of an I owe you attitude. And, and sex needs a proper context. It needs to flow out of a wonderful love relationship between a man and a woman. It's not simply having sex or going through the motions or demanding of your spouse or, or being selfish with it or any of those other things. The proper context means this. I, I'm not, I can't be a jerk. I can't be unloving. I can't to ignore Karen. I can't overwork and do all these things and then come home and expect a scoop of ice cream, if you will. That's not how it works. It, it means that I set the context by asking you know, how can I serve you? By seeking her. By, by, by creating the context for that to happen. The, the context for that to happen starts long before it actually happens. That's the point Paul is saying. And the proper context is, a, is, a, is where a husband fulfills all of his duties, not just sex. It's a home where the husband thinks of the wife first, not himself. A home where the, where the husband thinks of the kids first, not of himself. It's, it's a home where your wife would love to experience that with you because of what a great husband you are. You set the leads, husband. It's a, it's a, it's a home where that sex is an overflow of just the great relationship that the two of you have. And remember this, our number one duty as a husband is to give ourselves up for our spouse. You can look at Ephesians 5, 28 and 29 for that. Give yourself up as Christ gave himself up. And when we do this, it sets the context. It's, it provides the cup or the cone, if you will, for sex to happen naturally and beautifully. Where it doesn't become a barrier. It doesn't become a point of contention. It doesn't become something that's divisive. And, and yet, wives at the same time, you look at 1 Peter 3, you can't deny or refuse your husband based on how good he's doing. Because it says, wives, obey your husbands even if they're bad husbands. So there's an interplay here. There's a working together. You can see why it's a, hey, I serve you and you serve me. It's not a, hey, I sit back demanding. There ought to be, a, there ought to be an environment of our home and marriage that this wants to happen. And, and husbands, we can't... We can't fail to be the spiritual leaders. We can't fail to do what God has called us to do. We can't fail to give ourselves up for our spouses. We can't fail to provide. We can't fail to do all these things and then come home and demand that our wives, expect our wives to say one scoop or two. It's not going to happen. You set the context. Your leadership sets the context. The husband must... Fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. You set the thermostat. You set the temperature. So, so not only have your own wife, not only fulfill your duty, but look at verse 4. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body. And, and here's the beautiful picture there. In, God has sovereignly taken something away from me in marriage and then he divinely gives that to Karen as a gift God in marriage took away my identity 
as an individual, and he sovereignly gives that to Karen. It's yours, Karen. And he also does that with Karen. He doesn't ask if, you can t- if he can take it. He, he doesn't ask you if you want it. He takes my own body, and he gives it to Karen. And God takes her body and gives it to me in marriage. That's what marriage is, one flesh, a one flesh union. He said, I, I don't have authority. I no longer have authority over my body. She no longer has authority over her body. The, the word authority, listen to this, the word authority, I'm going to read it, get it right. It literally means to have rights over or exclusive claim to something. That's what the word authority means. To have the rights over and the exclusive claim. You have, husband, exclusive claim to your rights body. Wife, you have exclusive claim to your husband's body. That, that eliminates all kinds of other things right there. And, and, and it's the oneness. It's the two shall become one. And again, husband, you set the tone for this through your sacrificial leadership. Don't, don't make this about you and become one-sided. This is about your wife. And wife, don't make this about you. This is about your husband. It's other-centeredness. And, and this is to be done by both parties regardless of our spouse and how they fulfill their role. Hear that. This is not, well, I'm going to judge you on how well you're doing and then I'm going to see, I'm going to use this as a reward. No, no, no. It's a debt you owe. You pay it. And, and it's to be mutual because guess what? The body of my spouse is literally, literally the free possession of us. Our spouse's body is our free possession. And, and clear me, hear me. The emphasis here is not on the fact that I own my spouse, but rather my spouse owns me. That's the emphasis. It's an other-mindedness. It's a, it's, a, it's a selflessness. It's not me demanding, Karen, I own you, I have authority over you, now do what I say. No, it's Karen, you own me, you have authority over me, I'm going to gladly serve you. I'm going to gladly give myself up for you. That, that's marriage. And there's a, I hope you see the difference there. Our flesh wants to take these passages and become demanding. The Spirit wants to take these passages and become the servant. Matthew 28, 20, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. That's my, that's my goal. That's our call, to serve. Marriage is a permanent, a permanent surrender of everything that you are to your partner. It's a permanent surrender of yourself to your partner. And you belong to your spouse. You belong to your spouse in the utmost sense. And, and again, look to your spouse. I belong to my spouse. That's why it's a duty. That's why it's an obligation. That's I, that She has authority over me. And, and again, the word, the word Paul uses here for authority in verse 5, I mean verse 4, it literally is this. To do something in such a way with it as you see fit. Karen, whatever you see fit, do with me. You own my body. Whatever you see fit, I'm yours. How can I be at your service? And she responds the same way. Again, our flesh, our society, these are hard verses. And again, 1 Peter 3, 7, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. You know, husbands, we got to understand that sometimes what our wife needs most is to be held, is to be heard, 
is to be talked to, is to be listened to, is to have time with, and it goes nowhere. As crazy as that may sound to a guy. You know, as a guy, you're thinking, why would I do all that and it end? Because that's what your wife wants. And yet, wives, you got to understand that to a guy, that don't make any sense sometimes. It just don't make any sense. It would be like, to a guy, it would be like, I would never go into an ice cream shop and say, I just want a cone. I just want a cone, I'm going to leave. No, you put ice cream in it. And a cone is the purpose for the ice cream. The cone is to get to the ice cream. But see, guys, we we got we to gotta understand that, that even though you can't fathom it, our wives do. And we've got to give our wives what they need. We've got to give our wives, it's our obligation, it's our duty. And, and we got a conversation and all these things. Uh, affairs are not just physical. Affairs can be emotional. If, if I'm getting anything from another woman that I'm supposed to be getting from Karen, that's adultery. Okay? And that's why, uh, wives, if you're getting anything from another man that you're supposed to be getting from your husband, that's adultery. Oh, he listens so well, I love being right. That, you are having an affair. Stay put, stop it. That's why it's important, guys. It's important that we know what our wives need and we do it. Wives, it's important. All of this, again, it is a safeguard against Satan. He wants to destroy our marriages. And the crux of the matter is this. We have to see this as more about making much of our spouse and their needs rather than making it about our needs. This has more to do with our spouse and their needs than it does with our needs. Don't use these to become selfish. There's mutuality here. There's surrender here. There's an otherness here. This is totally about the other person. Nothing demanding about this. The only thing that's demanded of me about this is that I give myself up for Karen and hope that she responds in the same. And and there is a tremendous, not only does this apply to sex, but think about this. Think about how this applies to everything else in marriage. It ought to matter to you. you, Our our spouses have a say-so, and we ought to be communicating about everything. What we wear. Does, does your spouse like it or not like it? I mean, what about even your haircut? Now, Karen, that's a problem. I don't have a whole lot of options. I'm out of options. It's like it. It's either this or bald. I mean, what you got? You know, but do, do you talk? Hey, do you like the way I wear my hair? Would you like it somewhere? Clothes? Hair, all, it, it goes so, the, the, the length, your attire, the n- number of kids, your body appearance, all that stuff is dealt with right here. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price and that marriage God gave me to Karen. All decisions, all decisions that Karen and I make, guess what? I can veto and she can veto. Hey Karen, I think I'm going to have a mohawk. <clears throat> You're not having a mohawk, Chris. Okay, I'm not having a mohawk. Hey, Karen, I'm going to buy this. I'm going to get this shirt. I like it. Yeah, Chris, if you could see what it looks like from my perspective, you wouldn't buy that shirt. Okay, I won't buy that shirt then. It shows off my arms. Chris, you have no arms. (laughs) That's why I was getting it. You know, but she has that authority and she does that in love. 
See, I'm not hers and she, I'm hers and she's mine. And we got to love each other enough and care for you. And again, set the context in marriage, husbands, where those kind of conversations can take place. Where if you say, hey, I'm not really digging that hairstyle, that's not the first thing. You, you, you've told her 18 times that you are love the hairstyle. So when she hears that, she understands the context for that statement. And, and again, the attitude in marriage is this. I'm for you. I exist for you. You exist for me. It's, it's a permanent surrender of everything I am to serve Karen. At marriage, that's what I did. I traded in my singleness for servanthood. And it was directed at Karen. And guess what? God is glorified through me doing this. Ultimately, who am I serving? I'm serving the Lord. Ultimately, who am I glorifying? And when I do that, I'm glorifying the Lord. And I ought, here's the challenge. I ought to be fulfilled in fulfilling and serving Karen. It ought to fulfill me to serve Karen. It ought to excite me. You look at Hebrews 12, it says, For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. You know why it was joyful? Because he knew it was good for his bride. He gave himself up because he knew that's what's good for my bride, so that's what I'm going to do. There was joy there. And God wired us for this. He intended this to be something that honors him. Make it a priority. Have no regret or reservation. Abandon. Here, the, the, and again, I... I, I work through these texts and I'm thinking, you are, a, you are a sorry husband sometimes. Abandon, Chris, abandon yourself to the glory of Karen. Karen, abandon yourself to the glory of Chris. And in doing so, you're going to make much of God. That's what he's saying, abandon yourself. When, when, you, when, you, when you start to get married, when you're about to walk down those wedding aisles, they don't talk about it. You're thinking totally about self. But here's the deal. You're standing here and she's standing there and you're giving in marriage. Truly what you're doing is you are giving yourself totally, permanently to your spouse. Permanently and totally. Some of our singles in here are thinking, I ain't going there. I love to, you know, it's... Again, that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, later on, he says, hey, those who marry, you got, you're going to have much trouble in this life. Single person, all they got to be concerned about is how to serve the Lord. The married person, they got to be devoted on, hey, how do I serve the Lord, but also how do I honor my spouse, and how do I serve my spouse? I have divided interests. You go over here to, to verse 28, but if you marry, you, may have, you, may, you have not sinned, but if a virgin marries, she hasn't, yet such will have trouble in this life. And he says, and I'm trying to spare you, it's an obligation. And I don't mean it's bad, but it's an obligation. And men, we have to lead out and set the context for this to happen in our homes. We have to. And wives, you have to understand that, that sex is a big deal to your husband. You may not understand it. You may think he's all kinds of stuff, but it, it's a big deal. L listen to me, what a, a man in a book, it's called Sex and Sanity. Listen to what he wrote. He's an expert and I don't know what makes you an expert, but he's an expert. So again, I'm clearly not an expert. This is what this man wrote. From one point of view, sex may be spoken of as a safety valve for irresistible desire. But for the Christian man, the sexual life is infinitely more than that. He's talking about men here. It is a breathtaking experience 
what can be called a bold and blessed intoxication. Intercourse is not only the appropriate means for the expression of love, it is also the means by which love itself is strengthened and sustained. Sexual intercourse is far more than a physical act. It's a big deal. I'm, I'm, making, I'm not making this up. I, I, I'm trying to tell you as strongly as I can so that you will have a healthy, God-honoring marriage and it will be protected from the enemy. He wants to destroy you. Sex is causing huge problems in marriage right now. And it will find its way to you if you're not careful. I promise you, it will, it will, Satan wants for it to find its way into your marriage right now. And what Paul is saying is, playing around with this is dangerous and wrong. Celibacy and marriage and, and, and foregoing sex and infrequency is dangerous and wrong. Husbands, wives, you have equal privileges, but you also have equal responsibilities in marriage. And he says, fulfill them to the glory of God. And, and neither one of the, what he's saying is, husband, don't look for ways to get out. Wives, don't look for ways to get out. Look for ways to serve. Look for ways to honor your spouse. And, and any time, hear me, any time you withhold sex from your partner, you become an agent of Satan. Hear that. You become an agent of Satan. Look at verse 5. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again. Why? So that Satan will not tempt you. Satan wants to tempt you through this. You play games with this, you're playing with fire. You play games with this, you know, it, there needs to be a mutual, if he says, if you're not going to do this, there needs to be a mutual agreement, and there needs to be a specified time. Otherwise, Satan is going to wear you out. He's going to wear you out on this. And, 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 and literally, he says, depriving one another. Stop depriving one another. That word there means to rob someone of something that belongs to them. To rob someone of something that belongs to them. That's what you're doing when you deprive the other from this. Whatever those needs are. Here in the context, we're talking about one specifically, but it goes way beyond that. Satisfy and protect your spouse to the glory of God. And, and what he's saying here as a, as a, as a somewhat of a means and application, if... If you use sex in an unbiblical way, for, for, for unbiblical means, what I mean by this, if you use it as a form of manipulation, mean, mean getting them to do what you want, you're an agent of Satan. You're asking for trouble. If you use sex to get your spouse to do what you want them to do, you're out of bounds. If you use it solely as a mean of reward, meaning to keep them doing what you want, you're out of bounds. If you use it as a means of punishment because they didn't do what you want, you're out of bounds. And, and there are so many, what makes me so fearful here, there are so many ways, so many ways for Satan to attack us and to get us to seek what was meant for marriage, to do that in ungodly, unbiblical ways. That scares me as a pastor. That scares me as an individual but it also scares me as a pastor. There are millions of ways for us to get sideways here. Satisfy and protect your spouse. Hear me. Satan is totally committed to adultery. 
totally committed to it. He, he is totally committed to the personal problems that come with the, the dissolution of your marriage. He's totally committed to it. And, and we must see that what God has given us with sex is to be a protector of our purity. Sex is a protector of our purity. It's a protector. And we've got to be ready as a spouse to help our spouse no matter what it is. Is it holding my hand as I walk through the mall? Then you're, I'm going to hold your hand. Is it sitting down and having conversations and just listening to my day without immediately jumping? I'm good at this. About halfway through the conversation with Karen, I got an answer. I don't need to hear the rest. You had me at hello, I already got an answer for you. She just wanted to be heard. She's like, I don't need your answer. I just want to be heard. That don't make sense. Why are we talking about it if you don't want an answer? Why am I listening if you don't want an answer? I mean, that don't make sense. I'm here to help. You know? They don't want that, whatever it is. Because guess what, guys? I do that long enough, Satan's going to provide somebody who will listen to her. Satan's going to make sure there's somebody who will listen to her. He'll make sure of it. And wives, you, divide, you deprive the physical, hear me. Satan's going to make sure there's somebody who's available. That's his job. He's going to make sure. And, and again, application... I'm going to ask you to Google a Nike commercial. In the African old days, Nike had a slogan. It said, just do it, and I'm going to leave it at that. That's all I got for you. That's all I got for you. Okay? It's a protector for purity. It is to fend off the evil one. And to treat it in any way other than that is dangerous and, and, and sinful. And is asking for trouble. Sex has been given as a gift to protect us, to protect us from immoralities. And guys, we live in a world where they are vast and they are ever-present. They are at our fingertips at any given moment. Help each other. 